5G has a big part of how do you create a better experience, whether it's a patient or our caregivers. But it also has some uh, behind-the-curtain ramifications for us. When you think of things like uh, backup, it starts to open up lots of different new options for us that just simply didn't exist before. So to me, I think you know, uh, 5G becomes one of those foundational technologies of the future that once you get a little bit to the other side of it, we'll reflect back and go, how do we ever do this without 5G? Because I do think it's a paradigm-shifting technology. Welcome to The Restless Ones. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I've spent more than a decade really learning about technology, what makes it tick, and then describing and explaining that to my audience. But it's the conversations with the world's most unconventional thinkers, the leaders at the intersection of technology and business that fascinate me the most. In partnership with T-Mobile for Business, I explore the unique set of challenges that CIOs and CTOs face from advancements in cloud and edge computing, software as a service, Internet of Things, and of course, 5G. We are often left wondering how the leading minds in business continue to thrive. Let's find out. Our guest today is Marty Pazlik, the CIO of HCA Healthcare, one of the largest providers of healthcare services in the United States. HCA Healthcare has a network of more than 180 hospitals, plus 2,000 other care centers, from clinics to emergency rooms to urgent care centers. The company's mission is easily expressed. Above all else, we are committed to the care and improvement of human life. That's a simple concept, but it requires complicated approaches, not the least of which is incorporating technology that supports that mission. That's where Marty comes in. As you'll hear, Marty literally fits the definition of a restless one. As the CIO for the entire organization, Marty is at the top of a truly massive IT force. He has been with HCA Healthcare for more than three decades, giving him a deep understanding of how HCA Healthcare leverages its technology in order to carry out its mission. I sat down with Marty to learn more about his background, his philosophy, and approach to leadership, and how HCA Healthcare created an all-new technological and process playbook to navigate through the numerous issues that arose as a consequence of the COVID-19 outbreak. Marty, first of all, let me thank you for your time in joining us for this podcast. I very much appreciate it. My pleasure. And I'd like to get started by learning a bit more about you and and what makes you tick before we dive into all of the uh, challenges you face and your approach to meeting those challenges. So to get started, what actually drew you into the world of tech to, to begin with? Gosh, I wish I had a really fancy answer for that. When I was in high school, I had an opportunity to uh, take a uh, computer programming class. And I received an extremely generous C at the end of that class. Two years later, my brother takes the same class. And he doesn't realize that I was just a you know, just struggle to get through the class. And so he, he reaches out to me and, and seeks my help. And so I, I literally took his textbook and I dove in and I said, I'm going to, I'm going to learn this. And I think most people in technology would say there's a moment where, you know, the puzzle pieces kind of come together. And for me, all of a sudden, 
it clicked. And not only was I able to help my brother get through the class, but all of a sudden I said, you know, I think I'm pretty good at this. I went on to college and initially to study uh, in the business school, but I eventually went back and I said, look, you remember how good you were at that? So I went back into the engineering school after that, and uh, and that's what really got everything started. I, I think you might have hit on a new educational tool where uh, in order to get better at any particular course, you are given the 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 burden of making sure someone else is understanding it. So you have to. Uh, that is fascinating to me. I, I love that answer. So what was what was your first job? in the tech field? I applied for a software developer's position and really had, you know, my estimation, a pretty marginal <laughs> marginal resume. And I couldn't believe it when they offered me the job. And I got in and started work in the clinical development area. My first job was to construct laboratory interfaces. So, you know, there's instruments that test your blood and, and things like that. And they have to talk to information systems. So I built the interfaces between those two things. But but I was just a young guy just out of school. And, and six months into the job, I get an opportunity to go to, the, to a hospital for the first time. I walk into the laboratory and I, I go to the lab manager and I said, what's a laboratory instrument? She had this, you know, this big smile on her face and she said, follow me. And for the next 90 minutes, she walked me through that laboratory and I got one of the most important lessons of my career. I saw firsthand how my work I- impacted a patient. I've been doing this for 35 years, and I still remember that moment that it, it not just clicked technologically, but it clicked to the mission. This job was bigger than other jobs, and, and it had a responsibility that all in an instant, in a 90-minute tour, just all came together for me. That is a really remarkable story as well and a powerful one, I think, because it's something that sounds like it really helps drive you in your work that you have this connection between what it is you do and the fact that a large portion of that work is all going toward keeping people healthy and, and saving lives. Correct. Mm. But the bottom line is and when I talk to either our colleagues here in HCA or I talk to our vendor community – you know, I remind them our mission is to take care of people in their most vulnerable moments of life. And that responsibility has a high degree of accountability. And that's why this is a fabulous industry to be in and a great company to work for. Well, I almost feel like you've you've kind of answered this question already, but I'm curious. Uh, can you tell us about a memorable project you worked on earlier in your career, something that really helped shape your philosophy uh, toward your work today? Yes. You know, I was a software developer, right? And I, I was asked if I would facilitate the selection process for a new um, – system-wide clinical system. And, oh, gosh, I wanted to do this. I wanted to do this project so bad because it's going to really stretch out beyond my my skill set as a, a developer. And I, I, I got the assignment and literally I was working, you know, 12, 13 hours a day for about six or eight months. And there was no doubt I was the expert. 
my boss comes in my cubicle and he says, we have the opportunity to present to the board of directors tomorrow to get their approval so we can get going. If you can just provide us the data, we'll be ready to go. I look at the template and I go, I can do this. I can do this. But there was something inside of me. I looked at my boss and I said, but I think there's a better way to present this information to them. (laughs) My boss looks at me and he goes, you you see, you don't understand. We're we're at three o'clock in the afternoon. The board meeting is at nine o'clock tomorrow. We just got to follow the plan. So I go, okay. So they walk out of my cubicle and I sit there and I just like, what do I do? I know there's a better way. So I, I, th- I thought to myself, well, how long will it take me to complete their template? And then I thought, well, how long is it going to take me to do how I would go about it? And then I just sat there and I went, I'm doing them both. And so I did theirs, you know, I finished it, came back and did mine and finished it about four in the morning and just sat in my cube. You know, there's no point going home. Just sat in my cubicle. My boss comes in the next morning and goes, hey, hey, how'd it go? And I show him the template. And he goes, thank you. I, I'm sorry we put you in this situation. And I go, hey, but would you look at this other deck? And he looked at me and he goes, you got the same clothes on. I go, oh, uh, yeah. And he goes, why Why did you do that? We, we said just to do it this way. And while he's giving me a little bit of grief, his boss comes in. And, and I say, well, I'm going to get right back in the batter's box and try again. And I try again, and, and same answer. They're like, we don't have time for discussion here. We have a board meeting in two hours. So ironic as it is, their boss was in. So I've got three levels of management in my cubicle. And, and quickly, I, I get it that this is the author of the template. And I just said, hey, I'm trying it one more time. And I showed my presentation deck. And he just looked at me and goes, can you get 50 copies of that to the boardroom? And I go, I can. And, you know, I hightail it over there. And actually on the way over, I run into the CIO. And I'm so so far down the org chart, you know. And he sees me with a stack of papers. And he goes, hey, are you Marty Pazlik? And I go, I am. He goes, you have no idea how easy you've made my job today. He goes, I want you to sit in the back of the room and watch how this happens. And I won't go into the details, but nonetheless, it all gets approved in 20 minutes in the board meeting. On Monday, I have a note to come see my boss, and I walk in, and uh, he just looks at me and goes, congratulations, you've just been promoted. Here's 16 blank requisitions uh, to create your team. And so the lesson there is when you believe in something that is uh, good for the mission, pursue and don't give up. And actually, as an introvert a little bit, it really, it gave me confidence that I knew I had the subject matter expertise and I had the conviction to do things that were um, meaningful. Well, Marty, I got to thank you because that story uh, literally sums up the spirit of this podcast about having the conviction and courage to push forward with a new way that ends up being of benefit to an organization. On top of that, your story literally included restlessness in an all-nighter. So (laughs) fantastic job. If there's one thing most businesses can agree on these days, it's that change has never come about so quickly. New ways of working have become the norm. As a result... The status quo no longer cuts it when it comes to helping businesses adapt and innovate. That's why T-Mobile for Business uses unconventional thinking to help businesses work smarter and grow faster. 
Only T-Mobile offers America's largest and fastest 5G network. It's just one reason they're better able to help businesses solve the real-world challenges they face as they evolve. For instance, their new WFX solutions help team members stay connected and productive where work happens. With nearly two and a half times the network coverage of AT&T, nearly four times more than Verizon, and $40 billion invested in network and business improvements over the next three years, T-Mobile for Business is better for your business right now and into the future. See what they can do for your organization at T-Mobile.com slash unconventional. Open Signal awarded T-Mobile fastest 5G network based on average speeds. USA 5G user experience report January 2021. Capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some users may require certain plan or features. See T-Mobile.com. As CIO of HCA Healthcare, Marty oversees an organization of about 6,200 IT professionals, with CIOs of various divisions reporting to him. Given such a large responsibility, I wanted to understand his approach to leadership, his philosophy towards his position, and the challenges that naturally come with the role. This is a very mission-driven company. You know, it's founded uh, by physicians, and our mission of of caring for for people just really matters. Our technologist would tell you that they view themselves as healthcare professionals first and technologists second. And so to me, that's the real distinguishing uh, mark. And and I think it's why we believe we have such a strong culture. I I think it, it all begins with what do you believe in? And if there's a shared belief across an organization, then good things happen. I think the pandemic is a good example of where, boy, I'm sure happy we had a strong mission because it's what held us together. And we'll definitely talk a lot more about the pandemic's effect because in technology, the word disruption is used a lot. I don't think any event in the last century has been as disruptive as the pandemic has on the way all companies, but uh, specifically companies in the tech sector, have had to approach things. What would you say would be the biggest challenges you typically face as CIO? What are the things that you identify as being the issues you really have to to dedicate a lot of your time and uh, expertise on? Well, you know, I think there, I think, I think different leaders um, try to play to their strengths. I focus a lot on this uh, keeping the organization well connected it sounds a little cliche, I guess, but but it it takes a lot of effort. To me, you have to have not just communication channels, but you have a have to have some certain degree of diversity of how you're connecting with people. And if you, it, again, you know, linking it back to the whole mission, if you're communicating well and you're and you're drawing people in uh, to, to that type of commitment then really good things happen. And so, you know, I spend probably more than than a normal CIO on just whether it is uh, my direct reports or it is how I uh, find methods and strategies to connect to the individual contributor and the work that they're doing. I think there's some leaders that think that's not part of their job and that they might send a, a newsletter or something like that. And I just think there's um, there's just tremendous value and just being an excellent communicator or at least having high intent 
to be a communicator. And I probably fit the, the latter than the former there. Your modesty is really uh, coming through, Marty. I, I imagine that there must be uh, a lot of a high need for for flexibility in communication skills because you're speaking to very different audiences at any given time, whether it might be physicians or people on the medical staff or people on the administration side or people within the IT departments. And all of these different groups have different ways of communicating and they may have different perspectives on a particular project, for example. And I would imagine that coordinating all of that and keeping those communication lines open and getting buy-in and understanding among all those different parties uh, can be a challenge worth doing, but still a challenge. You make just an excellent point. You know, I think um, most organizations count on their CIO to be the the objective, the impartial uh, person, because you're right. There, there are a lot of strategies that are competing against each other. Sometimes there's different perspectives on, on the strategy itself. And I do think the company counts on me to weigh in in a way that shows no territorial reasoning, no uh, bias, but just, hey, what do I think is really right for the company? And And I do think the CIO role uh, many times gets that unique opportunity to do that. And now to, to kind of touch back on the pandemic, I am curious, before the pandemic, typically how many projects would your department be kind of overseeing at any given time? I understand it's a lot. Yeah. And first of all, you know, I think any CIO would say you have all the documented projects and who knows how many uh, undocumented ones that are going on, right? But prior to the pandemic, we had, uh, I guess, somewhere between 350 and 400 projects. How did your department react to keep the company on track while responding to COVID-19? I mean, we had to shift fast. Well, first of all, we had to ensure that a work from home environment would be productive. We have a few thousand people that before the pandemic that would work remotely. We had at one time 45,000 people working from home. And you can imagine we didn't have the infrastructure at the onset and how quickly, you know, our network engineers put us in a position to provide that type of work environment was kind of blew me away to start off with. But if you think about it, at the very beginning of the pandemic, what was the big issue? It was all about testing, lab testing. You know, how quickly could you turn a COVID test? And gosh, our supply chain organization is terrific. And they were making uh, new contracts and new deals with lots of different reference labs to just try to create greater and greater throughput. Well, back to my old lab interface days, hey, you got to put the connection points in there. And the teams were working round the clock. And we were doing interfaces that in a traditional at-pace kind of environment would have taken about nine months. We were taking nine days. Now, some of that was just high focus, but a lot of it was just work ethic. Mm -hmm. And I usually get this report that shows any staff colleague that has worked more than 60 hours a week for three weeks in a row because something's going on, Right. Well, there was a time, and I don't know if it's April or May, but it's in, it's in that early time frame that I had a list of a dozen to two dozen names of individuals that were working 80 plus hours a week. 
And I scheduled 15-minute phone calls with him. And it, it was like a rerun. It was like Groundhog Day. Every conversation was exactly the same. They would say, look, this is my moment. You know, I joined this company to be part of healthcare, and here I am. And it's up to me to make this happen. So you had the laboratory interfaces uh, first. You had the whole telehealth space with no visitors into our hospitals. We had to quickly put together a, a way for patients and care teams to talk to family and friends. We acquired more than 3,000 iPads to distribute uh, across the company. We even here at the end, you know, we, we had to create a vaccination system. We had literally six weeks to create a vaccination system that we built from scratch. That last time I checked, we vaccinated uh, 225,000 people. And so all of that, it ended up being about 50 projects that we had that were directly assisting COVID response. It was the hardest of years, and it was the most memorable of years. The work effort, the dedication, and the execution was just amazing to me. Are there lessons you've learned through HCA Healthcare's response to COVID-19 that you believe will be relevant beyond the pandemic? Absolutely. I tell our team all the time, I'm not going back. I'm, 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 not, going, I'm not going back to um, how things were before. And I, and I, think, I think one of the important things for us as an organization, and may, maybe others already were doing this before the pandemic, but I mentioned you know, the 350 to 400 projects. Everything, to some degree, has some sort of constraint, money constraint, resource constraint, whatever. And I think one of the things as a company we discovered was that, hey, there are technology projects that we need to say fast as possible. You know, what is that portfolio? What is those initiatives that we're not going to limit ourselves now, we may say no to some other things, but what is the subset of that portfolio that we have to move at lightning speed? And I think that is the most um, important thing for our organization is that now we have an agenda that says these dozen projects go as quickly as you can. And I love it. I love it because we get to see the impact. And so you're just moving and you're making progress. But this way, boy, the top priorities – and, and it gives you a better connection to senior leadership, too, because they are extremely well aware of that tight portfolio. They want to know about it. They see it. They feel it in their operations. We are, are going to stay operating at uh, COVID speed for those top priorities. I wanted to learn more about the sorts of technologies HCA Healthcare views as fundamentally important in order to achieve its mission. Marty did not disappoint. We decided before the pandemic, and this sounds so common sense now, but it, it required such a significant investment was Hey, we're a mobile industry. We may be one of the most mobile industries. You know, you think of physicians rounding in a hospital, the nursing, the, the respiratory therapist, the phlebotomists, everybody's moving all the time. And we were supporting them with desktops and laptops. And, and so the company's commitment to going mobile was really important. Today, you know, we have more than 
80,000 iPhones across our, our organization that are shared by nurses and other caregivers to just imp- to lift up the communication that needs to happen around a patient. And it's really changed how we do a lot of things in the company, not just communication, but now we have this mechanism that allows us to get alerts right into the nurse's pocket. Instead of walking back to a nursing station and looking at a dashboard or waiting for an alert from a closet somewhere, it's now all of a sudden buzzing in their pockets and they can take action really quickly. And so mobility has just been a huge area. We always, I think, had a great depth in uh, data. We would probably argue that our clinical data warehouse is the largest in the provider world, you know. So, and that that's a reference of our size as well. But we get some interesting insights, and those insights helped us uh, in COVID. You know, it helped us see things that were happening to patients that I'm not sure we would have had the same opportunity uh, without that capability. Um, before the before uh, the pandemic, we had made um, I think some really solid investments. In telemedicine, and we were we were using telemedicine primarily to make sure that we placed experts in the place of need as fast as possible. So neurology, so stroke management, you know, making sure we had a core set of physicians that could assess a stroke uh, any moment of the day. So telemedicine was a big deal. Psychiatry is another thing. You know, people show up in into an emergency department and it's obvious that they need an assessment. And sometimes psychiatrists are difficult to get. And, and that, and that's a moment a patient really needs somebody now. They, they, they can't wait eight hours for a psychiatrist to be available. And so we had a number of these programs have already available that, that set a foundation that went nuts in the pandemic. They've been extremely critical to our clinical outcomes and to just our overall operations. Uh, yeah, I would argue that telemedicine, uh, the fact that you had a foundation in place before the pandemic was of critical importance, not just to, to HCA Healthcare, but obviously to all the patients that HCA Healthcare serves. Well, here's the crazy number about it. So those programs we put in place was more about making sure a core set of experts were available. Well, the pandemic really was about my family doctor connecting to me, right? And so in 2019, <laughs> these numbers will just, they, they blow me away. But in 2019, we did about 3,500 telehealth visits, physician to patient, you know, like a, a primary care physician. You know how many we did in 2020? More than a million. That's a big increase. <laughs> 3,000 to over a million televisits. It's just, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine. In the pandemic, you know, we scrambled a little bit. There's no doubt about it. And, and I, I think that experience is, is really going to accelerate the space. And, and now we're, we're trying to say, hey, we've gotten through the, the tough part of that. Now, how do we lift it up? How do we lift up the experience uh, for the patient and the caregiver, make sure that it's as seamless and as intuitive as possible, and making sure that in the, behind the curtain that we have the, the right structure, the right uh, scale to do it appropriately. Mm. And with technologies like mobility, with the various devices, whether they're smartphones, tablets, that sort of thing, Obviously, uh, you have lab equipment that connects to various communication systems. The presence of telemedicine being a big part of the future. 
Does HCA Healthcare have specific plans when it comes to things like 5G connectivity? I would imagine something that has very high throughput, very low latency could have numerous applications in the medical field. You're absolutely right. Now, I think we're we're still at a place of evaluating a pretty wide range of use cases. So the obvious ones that people would see is to take clinical imaging. So, you know, the clinical imaging continues to evolve to provide uh, radiologists and other physicians much clearer, much more high fidelity types of, uh, of images. But as you might imagine, the more fidelity you get, the more dense these images become. And so the storage requirements are significant. So that part we don't worry about. But the problem has been, hey, I'm a physician and I'm on the move and I need to see this image. How do I do it? And with 5G, the ability to quickly download an image is going to be a big deal. And you think about the number of images that are just taken every day. I, I'm, I'm thinking off the top of my, sh- my head, just in HCA alone, we produce 11 million images a day and one and a half million are viewed every day. Now, you think about how many of those, a percentage-wise, would be much quicker re- response if it was available through cell. 5G has a big part of how do you create a better experience, whether it's a patient or our caregivers. But it also has some uh, behind-the-curtain ramifications for us. When you think of things like uh, backup, it starts to open up lots of different new options for us that just simply didn't exist before. So to me, I think you know, uh, 5G becomes one of those foundational technologies of the future that once you get a little bit to the other side of it, we'll reflect back and go, how do we ever do this without 5G? Because I do think it's a paradigm-shifting technology. I agree entirely. And uh, when it comes to different applications, it's the medical field that leaps out to me because of things like telemedicine. And as you point out, the ability to send very large files very quickly without having to have a dedicated like fiber connection where you can be mobile, you could be in the field somewhere and still get that information back very quickly. That's invaluable, especially when you're talking about cases where response time can literally turn into a life or death situation for someone. I'm also curious about your use of the Internet of Things world. It's something that I would say 10 years ago people would think of as, again, just a buzz term. But now we live in a reality where billions of devices connect to networks. And in fact, there's an entire subcategory of Internet of Things, of Internet of Medical Things. Does your department oversee a lot of projects that involve various IoT solutions? If you think about some of the types of technologies Anything that can provide us more data, that'd be the first thing, more streaming data. So just take patient vitals, for instance. You know, traditionally, a nurse comes in every hour and takes your vitals, right? And we attach something to you and we are getting a continuous stream, which also means continuous trending of those vital signs. And and so just from a care perspective, you know, streaming data that was traditionally taken in a sample size is is a big deal. The second thing is that many of the technologies provide some freedom. You monitor different things that before was tethered, had a cable. And so that patient in a recovery mode 
always needs some assistance. And now the Internet of Things has, you know, emerging devices that, look, if I'm uh, cleared to get up, I get up because everything's moving with me, right? And I think it's fascinating. It's where the puck is obviously moving. I think one of the areas that we are researching right now is how do we look at commercial-based medical devices? You know, I carry this little strip band that if I put it on my uh, my knee, it uh, gives a six-line EKG. That's amazing. So the question, though, is, is I've got a non-medical person, me, applying this medical device that is really commercial, not medical grade. And so what do we do with that data? And I think it's obvious we're heading in that direction. But how we as an industry, not just HCA, how do we view it? How do we use it? How do we care for people with it? I think is is going to be an an interesting uh, frontier for not just HCA but the whole industry. What's a big challenge you want to tackle given all you've learned throughout your career? Well, how do we move to a place where decision making is done in the moment and it's not done based on retrospective analysis? You know, how many decisions in our company are made on what happened eight hours ago or a day ago or seven days ago? And how do we get a place where the elements of the decision are present as soon as they're available? And I believe in healthcare. Um, that could be a, a a game changer. And so the investments we need to make, you would instantly believe machine learning. I think carefully deployed artificial intelligence can help us reduce variation on decisions that have traditionally been made by humans. I'm not crazy about uh, removing decisions from physicians, right? Uh, that's not a good idea. What we want to do is inform in a way that provides insight to a, a caregiver in the moment they need it. And I think that's what really excites me about the future. Yeah, Marty, I think that we we could call that augmented intelligence as opposed to relying on artificial intelligence where people assume immediately that that means you're replacing people with machines. We're really talking about augmenting very talented people with even more resources and assets that make them step up to that next almost superhuman level of performance in whatever role they might be doing. And uh, I really like your vision of the future, and I can't wait to see it become the present. And of course, we've got our one more thing. I asked Marty if he could answer one last quick question, and he was happy to oblige. What is the best piece of advice you have ever received in your career? Best advice was if 25% of your decisions aren't disagreed with, then you're not making enough decisions. And there's so many leaders that would love to have 100% consensus on everything they decide on. And if you do that, you're not pressing hard enough. And I love that as a guideline. So whenever I make it, I'm, I'm getting ready to make a decision and I know it's going to be controversial. I remind myself, look, this is why you're in this role. And if you think this is the right thing, you're just going to have to work with that 25% that doesn't agree with you. Mm. Marty, thank you so much for your time. This conversation has been a genuine pleasure. Uh, for me as well. I really enjoy talking to you today.
What I took away from my talk with Marty is that a CIO really needs to keep the company's mission at the front of mind while also embracing the need to be flexible and adaptable. The last year has made it apparent that companies and leaders can't aim for maintaining a status quo. And Marty made it clear that communication is absolutely key to effective leadership, particularly during times when we see normal operations disrupted because of a crisis like a pandemic. Thank you for listening to The Restless Ones. We will have many more conversations with leaders of tech divisions across all industries in upcoming episodes, and we look forward to sharing those stories with you. I'm Jonathan Strickland. These days, new ways of working have become the norm, and the status quo no longer cuts it when it comes to helping businesses evolve and grow. That's why T-Mobile for Business uses unconventional thinking to help businesses seize innovation. Only T-Mobile offers America's largest and fastest 5G network, which makes their new WFX solutions possible, letting businesses stay connected and productive where work happens. See what T-Mobile for Business can do for you at tmobile.com/unconventional. Open Signal awarded T-Mobile fastest 5G network based on average speeds. USA 5G user experience report January 2021. Capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some users may require certain plan or features. See tmobile.com. Thank you.